Welcome everyone to Embracing Crazy. I'm Toral Corin. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is all about loss, is all about embracing loss. No, no human being is spared from experiencing loss in their life. And the one thing that we do know, uh, 10 times out of 10, um, that all of us are here for a finite period of time, that none of us get out alive, which is a, such a remarkable thing, and that each of us will either pass away or watch our loved ones move to the other side in our lifetimes. And this is a, an episode that I wanted to address that. And this came to me last night to record it today. I knew that I would certainly do an episode on my own around the subject of loss and embracing loss. However, I realized last night whilst lying in the bath, it just hit me. Tomorrow is the perfect day to record this episode. Uh, today marks the one year anniversary of my son's passing. Uh, my son passed away January 25th. During his 14-month beautiful life, he lived it with a uh, very severe brain injury uh, that had was caused from a birth injury. And I'll tell you all about Jack in a moment, but I wanted to you know, let you know that today is the one-year anniversary, and I thought, how could, what could be a better opportunity to speak of loss um, than to be with you as I'm experiencing it? And I really wanted to touch on today also that, you know, how we each experience loss is different and how we each get to be around those kind of circumstances that appear in our lives is something we um, always will be confronted with in our lifetimes. And the more we can share on the subject, uh, the better off we'll all be and the more comforted and more together and less alone we'll be in it. So I'll take you back to the beginning, uh, we didn't know we were going to have a second child, my wife and I. I have an incredible daughter named Willow, who's almost six. And when we discovered that Ashley was pregnant again, we were surprised. Uh, we're actually planning on adopting. And when Ashley told me she was pregnant, my first reaction was, we're having three? That's how clear about adopting um, I've been and we have been. And that's a, that's a story for another episode. However, here was this boy on the way, and it was a surprising feeling to have a boy on the way. I never had imagined being a father to a son. It felt like a total surprise, out of the blue, so to speak. And there we were, and I'll take you right to before Jack was born. Uh, and it, I feel like it's important to share about this because it was such an idyllic moment. It was such a beautiful moment. Ashley and I were so aligned. Um, We'd done some incredible work together on preparing for the birth. Uh, and the night she was going into contractions was a remarkable night. We were listening to our favorite music. We were preparing and how we we're going to be together during labor. And right in, the, in that moment, in the, the most perfect, beautiful moment, is when this birth accident occurred. Um, and it was entirely out of our control. Of course, it shocked us. We didn't expect to suddenly go from this incredible feeling that we were having, getting ready to go to the hospital, to suddenly, you know, an emergency 
situation with ambulances and rushing to the hospital. However, that's what was thrust upon us. And when we got to the hospital, that the shock of what was occurring really hit me when the whole hospital floor was waiting for us in the emergency entrance. And to be standing there as they listened for a heartbeat and realizing that there was the only the faintest heartbeat. And by the time he came out of Ashley, uh, he, had, he had died. And, you know, the miracle of modern medicine, you know, the power of resuscitation, um, they brought him back. And I felt relief for this, this wild, just biological relief that he was back with us. And that relief quickly turned to concern because all of a sudden I realized, just like all the other doctors were, that he was non-responding, even though his heartbeat was there. So at that moment, I followed him to the NICU and refused to leave. And I'll never forget what it felt like to look at a little boy that was wired up um, with doctors all around him and wires going through his belly button and breathing machines. And I'll never forget grabbing his little hand and realizing this was probably not going to be okay. And I remember going back to find Ashley and I had, I had done my, I think my natural biological response to, 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 to trauma is to be calm at first. And that was wearing off at this moment. And I went to find Ash and uh, she was with her mom. Um, and she was in a state of shock. And I, I know that's how, you know, now looking back at it, that's how she very much deals with trauma. And, um, I remember the difference between us. I remember how the grief and this wild animal grief was coming over me. And, and Ashley was there smiling and saying, oh, well, you know, we'll see. And I'll never forget that I, I had to go find a place to grieve. I, I'll, I'll never, it'll probably never leave me what that felt like. And I found a hallway and I just kind of collapsed into this hallway of the hospital and tried to let my body grieve what had occurred over the last hour of my life and how I'd gone from, you know, awaiting this healthy baby and this baby and this beautiful birth. And all of a sudden the worst case scenario had occurred. And I just wanted to share about that moment because I've not talked about it much that I could instinctively feel inside me this need to grieve like an animal would after I don't know, something traumatic happened, to find somewhere to shake it, not off, but to allow it to come through my body. And I spent sort of 15 or 20 minutes just having a moment with myself, crying, trying to let my body just digest whatever I could of the trauma that was occurring real time. And I'm going to talk a lot about that in this episode because the truth is, if it wasn't for the work that I had discovered coming through mental illness there's no way i could have shown up like i did there's no way i could have even to that moment in the hallway grieving and panicked uh i i know now that it took a certain level of mental health to be an emotional health to allow myself to go through those feelings in that real time and so i let myself do that and 
that night we were confronted with the worst case scenario that most likely Jack had suffered global brain damage and that he, they were going to cool him down and put him on machines and basically sedate him for a number of days to, to cool down his body so his brain would not do any further damage and we'd have to wait and see what occurred. And it's the worst case scenario given oxygen deprivation to the brain that we were thrust into. And there we were not only waiting to find out how bad, but no doctor in the hospital could tell us what to do. And we just had to wait for a number of days. You know, and speaking about OCD and mental illness and you know, the ambiguity of not knowing and no absolution and, and no real pathway to know how to fix anything that it was that had occurred in that accident. Um, it was madness. It was. It was. It was so scary, <laughs> and that part of me, you know, I just did my best to just stay in the moment. So, just wanted to share that piece, and that opened up two months of hospitals and helicopters, and um, we went from Ventura all the way to LA Children's, and over those two months. Uh, I experienced so many things, so many things. Uh, I experienced what it feels like to be forced into the moment only. Uh, and by moment, I mean minute to minute. I remember in those first eight days of living in the hospital and being by Jack's side, between Ashley and I, we were by Jack's side probably about 20 hours of the day. Um, and we would trade off and, and take little naps between being with him. That I, I remember that you know, a week into this experience, I realized there was something hard at the back of my teeth. And I remember going, what is that? And it was only then that I realized that I had forgotten to brush my teeth. It wasn't that I was lazy. It wasn't that I had purposefully or consciously made that choice. I had forgotten that that was something that you did. And I remember just thinking, wow, like, if that doesn't illustrate what that felt like that first week, um, what does? I did start brushing my teeth again <laughs> uh, shortly thereafter, that realization. And that's what it felt like. It felt like minute to minute that we were on the battlefield and all we could do is take the next moment and try not solving our lives, not trying, not solving Jack, but just show up in every single minute on the front lines. And that was pretty much our experience for those first two months. Inside that second month when we arrived in, in LA, I, I'll never forget, it was just before Christmas time, and I went on a walk this one particular morning, and I realized you know, one of the th one of the things that I've always done to to keep my mental health in check, and um, that's really helped me on a physical, mental, and emotional level, is exercise. And of course, my any exercise went entirely out the window during that time. And I remember realizing that, and I was on this walk, and I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe this is the day that I I start 
exercising. And I remember my whole body went, you can't do that. You can't, you can't care for yourself right now. You can't, it was, it was like this whole part of my system that was so deeply in survival mode that that part of me couldn't consider the idea that I would take a moment to care for myself. And anyone that's been through great trauma uh, would know what that felt like, that, that it's almost like all of those things shut down and only what's in front of you can, can be understood and can be invested in. So I knew that this was the day to challenge that. So I pointed, I said, no, I'm going to. And so I pointed myself up the hill. We were staying in Los Feliz in, in L.A., not too far from the LA Children's Hospital. And I pointed myself up toward a hill and said, I'm going to walk over this hill. And as I pointed my body up the hill, I was hit by grief. It was like contained in that first layer of caring for myself was the grief, the grief of a father waiting for his time to feel loss. And so, you know, luckily I had the courage to let myself feel that kind of sadness as I walked up the hill and started to break a sweat. And it opened up something for me. I, I felt that first layer of grief. I felt that first window where I could feel what it felt like. No longer, you know, five to six weeks in, no longer did I have to wait. To, and I could begin that process in that moment. And it opened a door for me. It gave me a little window. And really quickly, I started to seek out classes. And I ended up finding this great um, place in LA, spin classes. And um, I immediately started to go every day. And so no matter what was happening, even if I was through the night at LA Children's, I'd carve out an hour and a half to do something radical, physically radical for myself. And it opened that little self-care window, this little vent, this little place for me to show up more powerfully to Jack every other time I was at the hospital. And what it also taught me about trauma is that as human beings were designed to offset or find, basically deal with the trauma we can in the moment, however, the trauma we can't deal with or digest, we, we save for a later date. That our systems are designed to not stop in the face of the saber-toothed tiger and grieve the loss, but to wait till it's safe to grieve. And the more I've kind of studied this, studied this and others, you know, uh, worked with others on their trauma as a behavioral coach, I've, I've, I've learned that that's exactly how we're designed. But very importantly, we're designed to find the time to give ourselves when it is safe, when it is time, when there is spaciousness. And if there isn't, to carve that time out when it's possible. So there was, there was my first gateway into giving myself a space to start and begin to digest something that is seemingly undigestible. So shortly after this time in LA, we met with the neurologists at LA Children's and it was uh, what you can imagine a bleak report uh, from some of the top neurologists, certainly in California, that Jack had suffered brain 
damage globally and that there was no real diagnosis of the life that he could have. Um, and, you know, at least from a neurology standpoint, um, to them, their assessment was grim. So we made the choice as parents um, this particular day, and that's the day I want to tell you about. At this meeting uh, at LA Children's, I and my wife, um, alongside my father and my stepmother, um, were told, you know, the severity. And I left that meeting, and I'll never forget my father coming toward me to give me a hug and he had tears in his eyes and he he hugged me and I'll never forget the feeling from my from my being uh, the feeling from me was like thank you dad but I can't choose to follow you into that feeling uh, and it was a very strong feeling I had and it shocked me and the feeling was Instead of despair, I'm going to choose to live life to the fullest. And I'll never forget that feeling in my body. And so I left the hospital with Ashley and we went for a drive. And before we got back to the accommodations uh, we had, I, I, we pulled over. And the two of us sat there and I said, I looked at Ash and I said, we've got this choice to make. Uh, we could, we could either take this experience with Jack as a tragedy and we could fall and we could stay in despair and we could come from that place or I feel like there's this other choice possible I feel like there's this other choice where we choose to live life to the fullest with Jack we take him out of this hospital we find nurses to to live out at home with us um, we live life to the fullest with him every moment no matter how long he lives, uh, without predicting what's going to happen, we try alternative therapies. We have him at home with us and we make a life together. And of course, the courageous and incredible woman that and mother that Ashley is, of course, she said yes. And so we sat down with our family and said, this is, this is the choice we're making. And it was more of a way of being that we were choosing than any other way that we were choosing to live life to the fullest with him. And to this day, it's my greatest accomplishment. I feel that, that of all the things that I've done in my life, I'm most proud of that choice. And I don't feel like I struggled to make it. And I felt blessed enough and supported enough through the experience to be able to make it. But it was not easy at any turn. And there was many times along those two months um, that I could have I could have fell into despair and I could have fallen into the what had happened was a tragedy. However, I had this strong urge to choose a new or choose a different pathway. And so we did. Uh, we took him out of the hospital, we brought him home and we created a life with him and we tried alternative therapies. We tried um, ABM and we tried oxygen chambers, uh, hyperbaric oxygen chambers. We tried many modalities. 
But what we definitely tried and chose time and time again was to be with him, was to live with him, was to soak up every moment together with him, to drink him in as he was. And instead of wait for a miracle or and instead of trying to fix him, all the things that I had tried to do uh, with my mental illness, uh, we accepted him as he was. Not one part of that was easy. Um, like I said, I feel like it's my greatest accomplishment to date. But what it showed me was that, you know, we're all confronted. We're all confronted with different circumstances in life, things that catch us out off guard, things that find us out of the blue, things we didn't expect, uh, things that didn't go our way, loss, uh, illness, dis-ease. Times we go, why? Times we say, please, no. And we all find ourselves in circumstances in life that certainly are beyond our control. But even with that, we still have this opportunity and this freedom and this incredible gift called the power of choice. We do get to choose how we show up to that. And so in that moment, I chose life over despair. I chose uh, my family uh, over tragedy. And for that, I'll always be proud of myself for that. I'm proud of my wife, Ashley. And I couldn't have done it without the support of my brother, Isaac Corrin, um, and everyone else in my family, especially how Isaac showed up in those first two months to stand with me, uh, to conspire ways we could be there for him. Uh, also, the way in which the way in which money was raised through GoFundMe with my help of my sister, um, the help of Ashley's mother and my mother on directly caring for Jack whenever they could be there with him. But what's most important about sharing this with you today on the one-year anniversary of his passing is that none of us are spared, and it's about how we choose to show up whether we choose to be taken by it or be made because of it. So we lived an incredible year with him and almost exactly a year to the day he came home to Ojai, California with us, uh, he passed away on January 25th, 2020. And what a year it's been, what a fast year. You know, look at what's happened to the world since that. Uh, COVID hit the world within a couple of weeks after Jack had passed. And so it feels like I'm just looking up and a year is just flown by. This year has been a, a tough one for grief, a tough one for, for trauma digestion, because in, in this year, in 2020, and, and everyone listening knows this, we've just had to get on with it. We've had to go through multiple wild 
things this year as as a as a globe and especially here in America so the one thing which is sort of not been easy to talk about is that i think in any other time in history a grieving family who'd lost a son would would welcome themselves back into a normal world so to speak after having the the kind of experience we had with jack um but instead 2020 was a a year where we've had to do um we've had to really just do our best to take care of ourselves um given quarantine and given what's happening so i really do reflect that it's been a really tough year to find the space and certainly find the space in community uh, to be caught and held by community through this experience so thank you for being my community now uh, a year into the experience and absolutely the waves of grief and the waves of loss um, find me as they do and i welcome them the other thing i wanted to touch on and really really be with is what does digesting trauma mean and how can we find the kind of mental health and emotional health where we can digest trauma that it happens to us as close to real time as possible and to me through this experience if we have the health to be able to handle life and all that life brings us that might be the greatest measurement of all that if you can handle the waves and the the ups and downs of life as close to real time as possible i've definitely discovered that grief is a process you know and i've heard that before and of course i'm experiencing it real time and grief comes in waves loss is experienced in waves and i've noticed that the best thing you can do is allow yourself to experience it whenever they come to not just ride it but to swim with it to dance in it and to allow the body and the mind and the whole being that you are to process it as nature asks you to and that's what i'm doing today uh on the one year anniversary of jack's passing i've chosen to share with you and to allow myself to feel what i'm feeling uh there's not a day that goes by that i don't reflect and tell him i miss him and remember what he was like to be with and what it felt like to sing to him what it felt like to speak the language i spoke with him and i felt this morning when i woke up that he was just joyful that he wanted me to know that this is a day to celebrate him that leaves me here on earth with the very human work of allowing myself to process loss and that will take its time and that will come when it comes so there's my story on my son jack and 
the other thing I wanted to share today in, in, in this episode is that truly the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life still, the top of that list is, is mental illness. And without, uh, that's such a wild thing to say, first, firstly, because going through the loss of a son that was born to a brain injury um, in every way on paper uh, would seem so much more tragic and so much harder to deal with uh, than going through mental illness. However, it's not the case that the mental illness that I went through with OCD uh, in my 20s was still still the, the, the toughest experience I've ever had. And it really did put it into perspective uh, what really, really came to the surface going through the experience I did with my son and then him dying last year, this year, on January 25th. What really put it into perspective was that without learning what I did through coming through mental illness and finding my mental health, that I could have never showed up like I did. And for that, everything I went through was worth it. Everything I went through to discover my superpower of coming back to the forefront of my life and learning how to handle being myself, slowly but surely, all the years that it's taken me to get to here with you as a behavioral coach, as a mental health advocate, that everything I discovered along that way prepared me to show up powerfully for my son while he was here on earth for 14 short months. I wish uh, the same health for you. That's it for today. This is Embracing Crazy. I'm Tara Corrin, and I'll see you next time. No. Will you even talk?